We all okay? Yeah, good, excellent. Right, well, Christmas is coming. Do we know that? Yes? Yeah? So as Christmas comes, we're, just, we're going to slow down just a little bit and uh, just take, I guess, a very careful look at a song tract that was laid down 2,000 years ago by an amazing singer-songwriter. You'll find it in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Before we go there, we're going to hear a slightly different version of that sung for us by our very own member of the Chester Cathedral Choir, Rosie Cooper. Do you want to come forward? Yeah? And uh, just have a little listen to, uh, to uh, what's known as the Magnificat. I'll move that off there for you. Thank you. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced, rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the loneliness of his handmaiden, for behold from henceforth all generation shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him. Just be thankful that was her, not me, okay? <laughs> Thanks, Rosie, that's great. 
So we, we begin the story with a scene that I guess taken in isolation is, is actually really ordinary. A young woman travels to visit her aging cousin in the country, Elizabeth, but actually against all the odds, incredibly and just wonderfully, this older lady is pregnant for the very first time. Yet the circumstances are actually anything but ordinary. In fact, they're rather peculiar and strange because there's been stories of strange visitations by angels. Promises have been made. There's just a sense of just wonder and excitement throughout this entire household. Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, is literally speechless about it. And I mean, he cannot speak. He's speechless. And when these two women meet, Elizabeth's unborn baby jumps, and she is filled with the Holy Spirit, and this bump was leaping because of joy, and she's shouting just because of excitement. Now, of course, there's other miracle babies that have, we can read about in, in the Bible. We think of, of Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah when it was impossible for her to have children, or perhaps Hannah, who becomes pregnant with the prophet Samuel. And of course, we could name many, many more, but all these babies are greatly significant as they carry out God's purposes in their time, in their generation. And Elizabeth's mind just must have been spinning as to what or who, who is this child that she is carrying? Who will he be? What will be the significance of this baby? But that wasn't the surprise. There was an even bigger surprise still to come as the Spirit reveals to Elizabeth something about the child that Mary is carrying. And this leaping, leaping bump is a sign and the Holy Spirit shows Elizabeth the significance of an even better bump. And as wonderful as her own baby would be, the child that Mary was carrying was even greater. And their minds just must have been spinning. They just, they just the possibilities. And, and yet both these women are just such a sign of, humi- of humble submission to God. Actually, and to each other. There's no competition going on here. There's no jealousy between these two women, no sort of mummy upmanship between these pair, just joy, just, just the privilege of knowing that they have been chosen by God for such a job. Elizabeth speaks, and she uses the title, My Lord, to describe Mary's unborn baby. This title is an exalting title. This title actually is often referring to to the Messiah, the promised one. That is some statement to come out with. And then to Mary, she said, blessed are you among women so greatly favored. Of, Of course, the fact that Mary is chosen to carry this child is exciting enough, but actually Mary is blessed because she believes and she embraces the word of God as truth. And that blessing is available to every one of you. Do you know you're favored by God? Chosen by Him. 
You are loved by God. And some of you will find that difficult to hear, never mind to actually begin to believe. But we can learn so much from these two women. And if you've, if you've tasted the grace and the goodness of God, we should live with just this sense of awe and just wonder of receiving such riches through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ, he tells us himself in John chapter 15, he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. He goes on. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You are chosen by God. We've sung it, we've declared, you are chosen, let that sink, you are chosen by God. You are a saint of God. You are loved by him. Friends of God. You get it? You're friends of God. It should fill our thoughts, it should fill our prayers, our, our conversations, it should reflect the way in which we behave towards one another. And we surely should declare, he loves me. Jesus loves me. I, I, I don't deserve it. I don't know why he loves me, but I am so glad that he loves me. How precious, how amazing is that truth for each one of you today. He loves you. He loves you. Mary's response to Elizabeth's bump, jump, like that, <laughs> is to proclaim a song of praise. I'll just read a different version from the one Rosie sang from Luke 1, verse 46 to 50, just the first half. We'll come back to part two next week. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. You know, it's unlikely that Mary would have sung that song. It's most likely she would have, have spoken it out so technically. We probably should call it performance poetry or a rap or, or something to that effect. But this song is, is probably widely, more widely known today, as we've mentioned, as the Magnificat, taken from the very first word in Latin for magnify. More recent translations have changed that word to glorifies. So what, what does Mary mean when she says, I want to magnify the Lord? How do we go about explaining that to someone? Well, there's a slight problem with the word magnify in that we, we tend to think of magnify referring to something that's small, something that's tiny, something that needs to be made to appear bigger than it actually is. Of course, that's not what Mary is trying to do here or even getting at. See, the smallness... It's not in God. 
It's in us. It's actually in us. And we need our ideas, our thoughts of who God is to be magnified because they don't even come close to how great and how majestic our God actually is. And and Mary wants to break this wrong view of what God is like, this idea we think he is small and wants to tell us how great he is, how amazing God is. Unfortunately, actually the way that many of us tend to live is that we we actually have this idea that God is probably a lot smaller than he really is. Smaller often than our problems. It's smaller than perhaps the forces of nature, smaller than, than earthly powers of peer pressure or politicians. And, and, you know, we say that God is in control, that God is sovereign over all things, but actually then something really difficult comes into our lives And do we believe it? Do we actually believe what we say? Perhaps Mary battled with the same tendencies that that many of us do. And we got to understand the bigness of God. Technical term there. The bigness of God. We just got to get, we got to get our heads around it. So verse like 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. See, God is not constrained by time. In fact, he's not constrained by anything. Nothing overpowers God. Nothing is too vast for him. Um, Ravi Zachariah tells a story that of a lecture he went to um, by an astronomer, David Block. And as he sat in this particular lecture, this astronomer puts up a slide on the screen of a picture taken by NASA. And in that slide, there were 100 billion stars just in one picture. David Block goes on to explain, if you were to, be, to begin to count those stars at one per second it would take you 2,500 years just to count every single one of them. Ravi Zacharias says, you know, as I sat in that audience listening to that lecture, I could not help but think of that verse from the scriptures that says, and he made the stars also. The God who created everything, created our universe, created everything that we see and everything that we can see, it's almost as if, you know what? I'll do a few stars as well. Why not? Just throw them in there. A few billion. Listen, nothing, nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible for him. And the God who made this universe, he is worthy of our fearful, reverential awe, and he should be magnified. God is majestic. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is worthy of our worship. And as Mary sings or or speaks out this song, this declaration of God, she she praises God in two distinct ways. Firstly, this comes from her heart. It's not just about words. Even though her lips are making the words, her praise comes from the very depth of her being. Her soul just cries out, just declares her praise, her adoration towards God. But the second aspect is that she does this publicly, not privately. 
This is praise that she utters out loud. It's, it's not just in the quietness of her heart. She doesn't keep it to herself. It's praise with the purpose of communicating truth to others, either to encourage them or to convince them. Listen, when we bring our praise and our worship to God, you need to come as Mary comes with bold declaration that comes right from our very hearts. And so often we're weak in actually one area or the other. So often we can, so often our hearts may be moved greatly at what God is doing in our lives, but we just hold on to it and we keep it to ourselves and we, we don't tell anybody about it. It needs to be proclaimed. The wonder of God needs to be declared, but sometimes we can just babble on too much and our hearts sometimes remain unmoved. It's not true worship either. We need both these aspects, bold declaration that comes from our very being, from our very heart, as we bring our adoration and our praise unto God. And this starts simply with the right perspective of who God is, of how great he is. But listen, greatness and power is only one part of God's character. We can't just boil him down to that little. He's so much greater than, than anything we could ever imagine. And so as this song, this poem goes on, Mary sings of his gentleness. Now there's nothing more opposite to power and strength than, than gentleness. But that's our God. That's who he is. The danger, I guess, that we associate power and strength with some that is some sort of uncaring brutality that, you know, and I guess there's reasons why some of us think that way. Perhaps it's just because of, of bad relationships. It may be because of maybe we've been involved in, in, a, in some big, large corporate employer and they just treat us like a number and they, they dehumanize us in some sort of way. But listen, that is not how God treats you. He's gentle. He's gentle. And we must never forget, as Mary rejoices in God as her Savior, we must not forget the stakes are incredibly high as God plays out his great plan of salvation. This planet was hatched before the very beginning of time. And we might expect that, that Mary's part in this plan is something that she has got no negotiation over, that she's somehow forced into this particular role. I don't think so. It's not what this Bible seems to be suggesting to us. These events are, are of course, both deeply intimate and, and also life-consuming for her. But I, I guess if you have kids, there's nothing more life-changing than, 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 a, than a new baby. Am I right? Am I right? I'm right. Yeah. It changes everything within your life. But we see God's caring character is just woven through this announcement that made to Mary. She's given a detailed explanation of what this child, of, of who this child is, of, of what he will become. Her fears are calmed, her questions are answered. And although God speaks really firmly through this angel, it is an announcement that is filled with kindness and the gentleness of God towards her. Listen to the few verses early on in chapter 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. Jesus. 
He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? Asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I guess we don't know precisely how Mary became pregnant with Jesus, but this description is, is both respectful to her and to her body. And even though she's, she's just a young, very ordinary, probably 14, 15-year-old girl, the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Do you get that? No word from God will ever fail. God's promises can be trusted. We need to stop for a moment and just think of the implication for Mary. We can easily look at this story and think, you know what? Oh, nice, isn't it? Nice baby to a, little, to, to a, young, a young lady. Not, not, that's not the reality of the situation, not even for a moment. She must have been terrified. The implications for someone like Mary in that day, unmarried, young, and pregnant... It's tough enough for young mums today, but in that day, it was just, it was almost unheard of. The shame, the scandal, the exile, maybe even worse. Deuteronomy 23, verse 2 says, A child born to an unwed mother carries blame for generation. You can just begin to imagine the, the, the raised eyebrows, the, the, the comments from the friends and from the family as Mary gives an explanation for her now expanding tummy. By the way... God has told me, God has given me this child, an angel has told me. How do you respond to that? Imagine your daughter comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, but it's okay, God has told me, or God has given me this child, and an angel has told me. How do you say, catch yourself on, come on, you know, don't you? You, you, think, I mean, you can imagine the people thinking, there's no way that that, there's no, it's, just sounds too, you know, it would have taken a lot of convincing and people are still very skeptical. They're, they're, they're looking, they're pointing the finger at Mary. She is carrying this element of shame. She could easily have felt cheated out of her dreams. Just a real concern for her future. But instead, she simply celebrates the holiness and the goodness of God. And she places her trust in him. Her response in verse 38 is all the more remarkable. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's pretty incredible. Mary trusts the Lord for all the things that are going to happen to her. And why? Because she is confident in God's character. She may be a nothing, at least in the eyes of people looking on her at that time. She may, she, that, that's what people probably were saying to her. She may feel like a nothing, but she knows that the Lord is gentle and kind. He is a respecter of persons and that he has given her this great privilege beyond anything that she could possibly ever begin to imagine. She trusts in God. 
That's where the rubber hits the road. That's when we, that, that, that's just the reality. She puts her trust in God. It's the only thing that's going to get her through this particular situation. She puts her trust in God. I wonder how do you feel today? You feel hard done by? Perhaps maybe serving God has become a little bit of a burden and it just becomes a little bit difficult. But listen, remember that the God that you know through Jesus cares for you and he knows, he knows everything about your situation. He is kind and gentle with you. And he equips you. He equips you to deal with this hostile world in which we live. He pours out his spirit to lead, to guide, to shape, to direct So come to him. Turn to him in whatever situation you are in. Don't close him out. Just share your thoughts with him. Mary's response to understanding God's blessing is that we see this big statement just declared for everyone to hear. And she says in verse 49, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And she was exactly right. In fact, history proves that she was right. And in fact, the fact we're, we're talking about her this morning proves that she was absolutely right. So what does it mean when to say that Mary was, was blessed? It's a funny word, blessed. Because blessing is often just thought of as some sort of religious sounding word. But the meaning is, in many ways, very simple. A blessing is a, a promise of God's favour upon someone or, or something. And the result of that is, is happiness and contentment and fulfilment. You know, some of the early English translators used the word lucky instead. And in a curious way, they're, they're, in many ways, they're quite right. This picks up some of the important elements of what it means to be blessed by God. You, know, you don't deserve it. In one sense, you are lucky. You just do not deserve it. But for some unknown reason, God has poured out his riches on you. It's very clear from Mary's song that she understands this truth. In some circles, the Blessed Virgin Mary, of course, is revered as someone who herself was was somewhat sinless. Of course, the Bible never teaches that, but some folks would say because she was sinless, therefore that was the reason why she could bear the Messiah. Some of you even elevated her to cult status, believing that she did not die, but was caught up into heaven, that, that she occupies a special place in heaven, that that we should pray to her rather than praying to God. But surely this godly woman would, like Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 14, have been horrified at such treatment and would have demanded it should be stopped. You see, Mary was not blessed because of who she is, but because of what God had done. The mighty one had blessed her because he is gracious, not because she is perfect. And God has blessed you through faith in Jesus. And God's blessing on you is a gift from God. It's not a birthright. You have no right to expect anything from God. Yet he has gifted us so much through Jesus. So so we can come confidently bringing our needs, our life requests, bringing our thoughts to him, knowing that he is pleased to give good gifts to his children. But then Mary naturally moves from her own experience of God's grace to 
how God relates to the whole world. And in verse 15, we'll finish with this little section. We'll pick it up again here next week. Verse 50 says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And Mary sums up in one line two massive gospel statements. First of all, the mercy of God to those who fear him. And this, this word fear is, is often a negative term. We often misunderstand it in many ways. So we tend to think of it in negative ways these days, either by describing the terror we feel when maybe when we think of needles or or perhaps spiders or heights. I particularly hate to be the idea of being sort of closed into a small space or trapped or, or, or buried alive. I don't know why I think that. I've never obviously had any reason to, but it's, it's just, a, I guess, a slightly irrational fear. And most of us understand this fear, this rational or even irrational fear. But when the Bible talks about fearing God, it is a completely positive thing. It's more like our fear of fire. Now, I guess this illustration does break down, as you will you will see. But but fire, of course, is good. It's useful. It warms us. It's it cooks our food. It's essential for summer barbecues and, of course, for Christmas festivities. And you know, we 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 have like a little candle going at Christmas time, and we, we actually went for a meal on Friday night and went to the hotel not too far from where we where we live and. They uh, got there, of course, they're, they're, there's actually a complete park cut. They have no electricity whatsoever. So we walk into this room, it's filled with candlelight. It's, uh, and then they, they've, thank goodness, they've got some gas um, cooking. Um, so they're able to cook our, our food for us. But really atmospheric and fire, really essential for food, really essential for life in many ways. But it's also important that we respect it and treat it rightly. Because if uncontrolled, it will destroy, it will, it will harm. We, we need to know our place in relation to it. To fear God is to understand who he is, to adopt the right attitude towards him, an attitude of respect and worship, not arrogance or superiority, but also not trembling fear either. It is to know our place in relation to him. And Mary tells us that if we are to fear God in that way, to understand who he truly is, to bow humbly before him, then we will know his mercy towards us. But actually, it is God's mercy that prompts our obedience. It is God's mercy that prompts our fear of him. You see, he made the first move towards us. He is the one who sent his son into this world, who left the glory of heaven, who came down into this world in which we live. God came to us. He came near. He came close. And your response to such love and to such mercy surely is to come to the cross of Jesus Christ in repentance, to ask for forgiveness of sin. So do you truly fear God? Do you trust his word and his promises towards you? Do you humble yourself under his mighty hand? The second massive gospel truth, a massive gospel idea that, that Mary sums up here is this unending truth of God from generation to generation. I guess it's easy in modern days, and we've all come across people like that who express this view and sort of dismiss Christianity as a message that's a collection of either outdated myths or, or just something that is, is for a bygone era or pre-scientific or from a foreign culture and actually has no real value, no real meaning for us today. But they are so wrong. 
Jesus is for all people, for all cultures, for all times, for all of history. And most importantly, Jesus is for you. He's for you. And the way in which God relates to his people never changes. Whoever or wherever they are, he loves you. He really, really loves you. In many ways, that's what Christmas is all about. We often use the phrase, love came down at Christmas. So true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. And Mary's excited and she doesn't even know the end of the story but she's excited and she marvels at God's mercy and the eternal truth and the eternal love of God. How much more should we? Knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us, knowing how born into this world he came and he lived a perfect life but he went to a cross and he died for our sin. He died in our place. Surely our response to such love should be worship and adoration and joy at all he's done for us. So this Christmas time, let's be thankful for his mercy, thankful for his grace, thankful that he is a God who is both powerful and strong, but also a God who is gentle and kind. This is our God, the servant king. Give him glory and honor. Amen. Amen.